This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where we watch a blockbuster cult favorite or otherwise culturally significant film that we've never seen before, and then we talk about it and see if we've been missing out the whole time, or if maybe we haven't been missing out at all. But this week we're doing something a little bit special, because the Oscars are coming up! Yay! And that voice you hear is returning guest Will. Hey everybody. Hey Will. And so he is on this week, and the two of us are going to be checking out one of the Oscar Best Picture nominees that we didn't watch this year, which uh, I think we've settled on doing 1917. 1917. Yay. Wasn't that a, a, no, it was 1918 that they used to chant the Red Sox before they won. Oh, yeah, they did do that. Yeah, Yeah, well, not anymore. Can I chant that in the movie if I just keep going 1917? I mean, I'll be beaten severely and taken out in front of the dumpster. Nah, people here might like it. We are in the area, right? Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so long story short, this is kind of a, you know, normally we do kind of more of a an older film, but this week we're doing a contemporary one. Well, I kind of feel a little not ahead of the game, but, you know, like it's more even footed because the other times I've been in here, it's been a movie that I've never seen and you're quite familiar with. And Mm. then this whole beginning segment, you're just like quietly like egging me on, leading me astray in my own naivete being like, well, I think this is what happens in the movie and you know I'm wrong. Sitting with my smug sense of superiority. You just, they're like, interesting. Mm -hmm. You think that's what happens. Hmm. And then I'm just, and then I find out how wrong I am. But here we're like more of equal footing, which I think is nice. Tell me more, idiot. (laughs) That's the whole point of the first segment of this show. That's the only reason why I do this, yeah. (laughs) And it's, I gotta say, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to listen to (laughs) if it's not me. Yeah. I mean, occasionally the shoe's been on the other foot, but I much prefer it where... Yeah. You listened to the Back to the Future one yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite one. Uh, So... Yeah, uh, so yes, we are in the same position on this one. Neither of us has seen 1917. Um, Will, what do you know about World War I? Oh, so it was our last great trench war, right? Yep. Uh-huh. And that uh-huh. means that people used to like dig trenches in the ground, and then they'd hang out in the trenches and like shoot, and then they'd like jump out of the trench and like go into the next trench. Yeah. And then it was just like went back and forth like that, so... I guess by the time World War II came around, they came up with better killing technology. 
Um, yeah. So they yeah. stopped doing trenches that. Trenches were obsolete, I guess. Yeah, yeah. no more trenches. Right. But, but uh, uh, what do you what do you uh, think about uh, this movie about the trenches that is going to come up about, uh, about World War One? Well, I mean, I guess. It, it's been in the media a lot lately. It's kind of considered one of the favorites in the best picture and some of the other categories. Um, so yeah. some of the other uh, movie podcasts that I cheat on this one with. Oh, oh uh, shit. I listen to. Yeah. Adultery. <laughs> totally. I've been talking a little bit about it. Um, in my brain, it's like the same movie as Dunkirk, which I never saw. I know. Uh, oh, well, Dunkirk I have seen and I like a lot. Mm. I mean, I am very much a Chris Nolan like super fan. Yeah. So that would incline me to like Dunkirk a lot, but I do think it is objectively very good. And is Dunkirk World War One? That is, is it, World War Two. It is World War Two, okay. but it's also you know uh, you know a Brits at War movie, right. so it's got that similarity. So this is from a British person's perspective. This movie—that's what I understand. That's the perspective. That's the impression I get. And it's shot to be like one continuous shot or that it it has that appearance that's the gimmick yeah um and so i the last movie i saw that had that gimmick going was birdman right same i did not care for birdman i will defend birdman yeah we can have that conversation or not (laughs) well we don't have to have it as part of this this broader one but um or at least not too deeply. What I would say is, uh, I am willing to entertain the possibility that it could serve more of a purpose in this film right. than in Birdman. Because I haven't read a ton of reviews of this movie yet, but that little that I have read has suggested that the continuous shot, or the you know, uh, pretend continuous shot, because apparently there are a few cuts in there that yeah. they kind of like cover up. Um, it serves to build tension. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You know, I'll, I'm, I'll give that a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, that's half the reason why we're going to see this, right? Is to kind of see the technical spectacle. Because it's also, it's more impressive to shoot a simulated single shot of a war film with all the like whiz bang things blowing up and tons right. of people running around than it is to like do it just in like backstage at a theater and and that's what kind of interests me other than i kind of want to see it because it may be the best picture winner tomorrow uh, as we're recording um it does tick a lot of the boxes yeah um and you know roger deakins has been you know i've been a fanboy of his for decades probably um or since i learned about him and um sam mendes that guy's good right he we is, like him. although, uh, so to break this two up, so Roger Deakins is a, you know, absolutely phenomenal cinematographer. Uh, I, like you, sort of like not being a super cinema person, but just someone who is kind of, you know, a fan of movies, didn't know him until more recently. But now that I'm aware of him, I started looking back at the movies that he's done, and they're all films that... I was super into specifically for how impressive visually they were. So for me that when I was looking back at his filmography, it was like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, uh, several of the Coen brothers films Mm -hmm. that I liked in particular, like no country for old men, I think is his um, Sicario as well. Uh, Uh It's an evil and movie, um, which for, I think that movie has some flaws, but not visually. That movie looks fantastic. Yeah. With Sicario 2, I just remember watching and thinking like, 
it was surprising to me because I was sort of like, there's no reason for this movie to look so good. Right. You know, I was sort of surprised as like, man, this movie looks so much better than it really ought to. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this guy is fantastic. And it was seeing his name attached to it that is part of the appeal of seeing this movie to me. And then there is Sam Mendes, uh, the ex uh, Mr. Winslet, I think. Right. The they were married. Kate Winslet. Yes. Yeah. Um, who directed what American Beauty? Yeah. Which people used to think was awesome, and now people think is a piece of shit. Yeah, you guys talked about touched on that on the last pod. Um, you know, I could actually do a whole episode where I just take the position of defending the Best Picture Oscar winners that everyone decide has decided now suck. Like um, what else? Well, we talked. You just mentioned American Beauty. Um, we talked about Birdman a little bit earlier. Well, I never liked Birdman. Um, and what's the one? Uh, Green about, Book. Oh, okay, I haven't seen Green Book, but maybe I'll watch it just so I can be a. Con- <sighs> Crash. Crash was the one I wanted to get to. Yeah, okay. I'll defend that one, too. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Well, I mean, I could, I could just go on and on and on. I've seen the James Spader one, though, where they all have sex with each other. Which is also awesome. <laughs> yeah, for different reasons. <laughs> um, well, okay. Maybe we can do, like, a special on uh, weird Best Picture winners. <laughs> oh, maybe, heck, we'll see how this one turns out. Maybe that's what part two will turn into. That's right, yeah. But, um... He also, didn't Sam Mendes also direct uh, Road to Perdition? Yes. Yes. That one I didn't see. That's actually, uh, I think, a, un, an underrated movie. I think that movie's fantastic. Um, also an amazing cinematographer, Conrad Hall, worked on that one. And I think it was his last film, actually. He goes all the way back. He did movies like um, Cool Hand Luke. Oh, cool. And Hand Butch Luke. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he also, he shot American Beauty, which is, I think, one of the reasons that that movie holds up more than people uh, say these days. Um, well, American Beauty looks really good. Yeah. It's more just like, I don't know, even when I was younger, I always thought the the kid characters were weak. Right. And then the adult characters were part of the appeal for me. And then as I grew older, those started to curdle a little bit. And then, I don't know, maybe also I think a lot of it is people's changing opinions about Kevin Spacey. Sure. You know. Which wasn't really an evolution. It was just like a <laughs> an yeah. immediate turn that we had as a society. Sure. But I don't know. Uh, whatever. This doesn't have to be a referendum on American beauty. But um, uh, but Sam Mendes also did the Bond films. right? That's right. Yeah. Which Roger Deakins worked on, like okay. Skyfall. I didn't know that. Okay. That movie looks good. Yes, it is. I forgot that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, pretty good filmography. Yeah. Yeah. So why haven't we seen this movie yet is the question. I guess part of it is that um, I am not that into war movies anymore. Yeah. Same. Same. Um. I guess, in general, I kind of am more interested in something if it's not a straight-up period piece, if it's not a war movie, if it's... It just seems like there's just a lot of... uh, I don't know what the word is, but just surrounding the whole thing that I'm just... I don't quite 100% buy into. It's not something that's like... It's not a bell that rings that gets me to look at it, you know? I'm just like, eh. And there were a lot of... I I actually thought this was a really strong movie here. Um, or 2019 was, and there was a lot of stuff to see. And I I've saw more movies, I think, than I normally do. But this one just wasn't one that um, that I felt like I needed to see opening weekend. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, you know, being like 
a boy, I used to like war films a lot. But mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, I think I've I I tend not to really find very appealing movies that to me scream Oscar bait. Right. And as time has gone on, war movies, especially ones that uh, look kind of like 1917 has in its advertising, mm-hmm. the trappings of these movies just scream Oscar bait to me. Yeah. And so I just kind of naturally react a little bit against that. Right. So, you know. But, I mean, you know, the gimmick sounded simultaneously interesting and also like a gimmick yeah. where I was sort of like, do I want to go to the theater just for that? So, but at the same time, I was like, well, if you're going to see it, see it in the theater. Exactly. Yeah. So I had basically just not made up my mind yet. And then this opportunity came up. So it's like, all right, we'll see it now then. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah. Do you have any like predictions on what we think is going to happen or what we're going to see? Who's in it? Anything that we want to get down on paper before we go? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I actually don't know any of the cast, which is weird. Um, I mean, I've seen some, uh, I think I've seen some shots or in previews or stuff like that where there's a young man running and I don't think it's one of the Chris's, but it might be, <laughs> but I think it may be a British person. I don't know. Um, so I don't think this is like a blockbuster cast movie. I don't think there's like a Brad Pitt or somebody in there. It's like, yeah, um, I could be wrong. I don't know. And I, I really don't know what happens in the plot other than, I don't know. I, I, I guess there's bombs going off and, and shooting and stuff and war happening um probably sounds, some sounds people likely. die yeah and then some people uh kill and are killed and um it's all one continuous shot so we're not going to see probably like um politicians back in the you know <laughs> being like well we've stormed the blah now we've got to blah the blah yeah or stuff like that not going to fight them on the beaches <laughs> right right well for me um I guess most of what I know is from either the advertising or from a couple of reviews I've either seen or heard. I think I saw in a trailer Colin Firth. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. And um, what's his uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? Right. Um, but I don't think they're they're not the leads. I don't I don't recognize either of the leads, the two guys. So the plot, as I understand it, is basically. They took the last act of Gallipoli. Have you ever seen that movie? No. That that is actually a World War One war film that is very very good, and mm. I actually just got paired with this on another movie podcast, The Last Picture Show. Um, and the the last act of that film is kind of similar to the plot of this movie, where um these two dudes uh, are given a message to deliver, and the message is. Uh, don't launch an attack because uh, we know for a fact that this attack will fail. So if you launch the attack, everyone is going to die. Mm. So they, they're like, you have until you know 9 a.m. tomorrow to deliver this message, and they have to trek across you know, this World War II hellscape to deliver it. And one of them, they're like, we're giving it to you because you, your brother, is part of this battalion, so we know you'll be motivated to deliver it. And so that's the plot. And I guess... If, you know, I'm assuming that this is going to unfold basically is just like different stages along the way where like we have arrived at this point and this is the obstacle that we're facing. 
we get past it. And now we're at the new obstacle and we get past that until we reach the end. And what I think is the biggest question is, do they deliver the message and save everyone? And then also do either of them survive? I'm guessing one of them dies. At least somebody's going to die, right? Oh yeah. I think I'm going to go with, they deliver the message, Mm -hmm. but one of them dies and the other one is he scarred i don't know he's definitely scarred i mean emotionally for sure yeah 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 and so and then there's the obstacles and so i know a couple of them that pop up so i won't guess them but um one that i haven't seen mentioned that i wonder if it's gonna pop up in this movie i wonder if there will be any uh poison gas Oh, because that's such an important facet of World War One. Right. Because one thing I've heard about this movie is that, um, you know, my thing with World War One is that um, my thing with World War One, that's it's nobody's personal thing with World War One. The thing with World War One is that uh-huh. it is such a uniquely brutal war and that tends not to make it very cinematic. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a an odd choice for a war film and the war the movies that center on world war one tend to be about like the injustices of the war Mm -hmm. and so this one seems kind of like an odd duck for this war because it's a little more action oriented and so i'm like are they going to even bring up this uniquely appalling part of it Mm -hmm. or are they just gonna not mention it all i guess we'll find out we will yeah do you think any women are going to be in the movie at all? Ooh, great question. I guess because you're not going to have the cliche of the girlfriend back home, you know, waiting by the old timey radio to hear news or by the uh, by the by the telegraph machine. Um, because and since it's sort of in real time, they can't probably even stop long enough for like you know the medic to be, to be healing them long enough to become a love interest, right? Right. So you know, yeah, or the girl in the town maybe. It's always a French girl mm. in a French town. Who, you know, the civilian is always either a French or a Belgian girl. Right. So that could in be these movies. We could have a, a young Belgian girl pop up. Uh, maybe I'm going to go fifty fifty on that. But there's no way it passes the Bechdel test. Oh, fuck that's just no. out of the question. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, that's not going to happen. Um, I do think it'll look great. Yes. Do you think? Do you think the gimmicks can work? I think it'll work. I mean, it's going... I will be disappointed if it's not, you know, kind of spectacular visually um, and from a a camera work perspective. I mean, that's really what I'm excited to see. Yeah, same. So, all right. Well, I guess guess we're good to go. And then we'll come back and see how it went. So, here we go. 1917. Sweet. Let's let's go check it out. This is the part... Okay, so 1917. Lance Corporal Schofield and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Um, I gotta say, though, we also kind of went through our own little 1917-esque adventure just getting to see this movie. We should get into that, yeah. yeah. Not what we expected. We thought this was going to be easy. Yeah, but it turned out to be very, very hard. 
And there were two of us, at least at first. I know one of us died along the way. Which was a shame. And, uh, yeah, surprisingly early into our attempt to see the movie. One exactly, of us like into the first act almost. Yeah, this is obviously this is um, because this is kind of an off-brand episode. We're treating this a little looser. I didn't do any research on this one. I Me mean, either. Well, the uh, idea is you want to go into a movie as blankly as you can like with a clean slate or as much as you can so oh yeah i i know and i and i do that too on regular episodes with the movies i haven't seen i do the research kind of after i've made predictions and stuff but with this one i just figured since we're seeing the movie in theaters and it's kind of like you know i'm just treating this a little more low-key and loose but um yeah our attempt to see the movie we want our beset with problems (laughs) You go, you go. Well, we go to Theater One, which is about five minutes away from here, and we park and uh, sold out. Yeah. Sold out. So then we... Wasn't expecting that, because this has been out for a while. Yeah. And I I guess, I mean, the Oscars are tomorrow as we record this, and maybe people are trying to get caught up. I I guess. But so we go to Theater Number Two. Yeah. This time we've got our tickets in advance, because I used my handy-dandy smartphone to buy the tickets in advance, like I should have done the first time. And, um, oh, uh, I'll need $15, by the way. Well, fine. Um, um, and uh, I'm not doing a Cash App ad if that's what you're angling for. This episode is brought to you by CashNow.com. If you are anything like me, <laughs> anyway, we get to the next uh, theater and our seats. So the that theater was nearly sold out. There were yeah. basically only two seats left. They were in the front row. But, of course, that is okay these days because they have those reclining seats. Unless. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're at our theater where those seats were broken. Yeah. So we're sitting in these things and it's like, what do we do? Do we watch the movie from these broken seats? Because now they don't, you know... It's way too close. Way too close. not have worked. And a movie like this would have just been insane. Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay. It worked out fine. Because we went to, I don't know if every theater has this, but the theater we were at has it where um, in the uh, aisle in between the two sets of seats, there are seats reserved for people with disabilities. But if nobody with disabilities comes into the theater to use them, they are available for anyone else to use. So we took those and nobody came in to use them. So uh, that was fine. And we were able to watch the movie. But, of course, there's also the fact that this theater was a fucking icebox. Yeah. It was so cold. Freezing cold. It's the middle of February, and it was, like, air-conditioned in there. Yeah. And I just... Man, we, we were really... both We were both doing the jacket blanket thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I honestly feel like we suffered nearly as much as... Um, Blake and Schofield from Nearly. 1917. I feel like we really understand what they went through. Um, so, yeah. But uh, long story short, I really liked this movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I don't think it was mind-blowingly good. I think there are some flaws with it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it didn't completely crack that best movie of all time this is the greatest thing i've ever seen kind of tear for me mm-hmm. but it was getting really really close mm. i thought this movie was very good so yeah i know, thought so as well as, as just like you know first level impressions that's that's my response on that 
I would say so as well. Um, did you find that the we called it a gimmick in the part one, um, the continuous shot uh, thing? Was that a distraction for you at all? I kind of felt like I went in and out where sometimes I was just like marveling at how they did it or trying to find like the points where they had the the cuts. Um, yeah, I was definitely playing um, catch the cut. Yeah. At first, uh, after a while, I think there came a point where I sort of stopped doing that and settled in. And just started watching the movie on its own and only periodically kind of came back to that where mm-hmm. it was either something I noticed or distracting or took me out of the movie. And when I say took me out of the movie, it either it could either take me out of the movie in a good way or a bad way mm-hmm. where it's like if it's in a, a bad way, it's like I'm kind of playing that game where i'm like oh like it's distracting and i'm playing like where's the cut or like this is just showy offy mm-hmm. um or if it's in a good way where i'm just sort of like marveling at it so much it's like almost distracting where i'm right. like this is so amazing technically it almost like takes you out of the being in the the moment viscerally right. um so, yeah, it's funny. It's it's like something is so technically accomplished, it almost is like to the movie's detriment. I'm not used to that coming up, but right. it and did occasionally in this movie. We talked a little bit, and I think I defended Birdman uh, in part one, and I think that in Birdman they were definitely showing off that that's what they were doing. Um, whereas in this movie, I felt it was not really show-off-y. It was just kind of... The way they did it. And the movie takes place in real time, so why not do it that way? And I mean, you know, so, you know, uh, and as I think everybody realizes, there are cuts in this movie. They're just very well hidden. And to a certain extent, I feel like marketing it, and I don't even know if they did necessarily market it this way or if it was just sort of like the word of mouth about it as a single shot thing. Uh, heard it because it made people like go into it thinking that I want to look at it that way because if you just thought of it as a regular movie the fact that there, these cuts are in there if you just think of it more as like this is a movie with a lot of long takes yeah as opposed to one continuous take then it's just you can kind of ignore that and it's just a really good yeah movie that as I think we speculated in part one those long takes do do a good job in a lot of the parts of really putting you in the moment mm. and getting you in there. I think in particular, like the no man's land scene uh, near the very beginning where they are um, crossing from the British trench to the German trench. Yep. And even actually just in the very uh, early part where they're just walking through the British trenches mm-hmm. and it just drops you right in there and you're seeing what, kind of like daily life is like in there and even after that once they've reached the german trenches and you just see from their perspective how much like nicer and better constructed the german trenches are right you just you notice that right away yeah in these long unbroken takes of just walking through it you know and seeing it from their perspective without you know these kind of like big sweeping drone shots or establishing shots or wide shots it's all just like seeing the way they would see it that's right it's very interesting and i liked that i like that a lot too and i also think what made it a little bit more seamless for me is that 
I think just movies have come a long way in what you can do digitally, how you can, and and I'm going to be very interested to find out because we haven't done any research on this, but just kind of what type of rigs they were using, what type of cameras. I'm not sure if this was shot digitally or if this was shot on film. I'd be interested to find that stuff out. But um, that you can now program a rig to do the exact same literally the exact same movement over and over again and you can build things digitally so you can really create that seamless transition whereas if you look at like a movie like rope which i think Mm. sort of pioneered uh this idea they literally had a cut every i guess eight minutes or 12 minutes however long a reel of film was at the time and you know it was always pretty obvious it was always you know they got a static shot of of you know a wall or something right or they had a character like stand right in front of the camera and it blacked it out um you don't really need to do that anymore you can build things so that you can even do it with a moving shot um so it was it was really incredible and and i think you already mentioned but after you know about 10 minutes into the movie i stopped trying to find those cuts and just kind of you just kind of went with it and to what you're saying about that um, allowing for you to kind of take on the character's point of view uh, to to a certain um, in a certain respect uh, definitely made the just the journey building more powerful. I think. Yeah, and and you know, you're. I think it was most effective in the beginning when you're just kind of noticing the details of the life. I think this movie was strongest uh, at the beginning and at the end is mm. kind of at the weakest sort of at, at the uh the end middle okay kind of in between where and uh, i don't but uh, i guess i'll just recap the plot of the movie really Great. quickly yep. just in a broad sweeping term so we meet two uh british soldiers you have uh our main one schofield mm-hmm. and blake who has a brother in another battalion they are called upon to deliver a message to this other battalion to call off an attack because the, t- the attack is doomed to fail. It's a trap. Mm-hmm. So they go first through no man's land from the British trenches to the German trenches. They and this this was kind of like uh, how we thought it would be where the, it was kind of like from one obstacle to another, yeah. just like one incident to the next. Yeah. Um, Kind of like a video game, like from one level to the next. But uh, so in the German trench, they hit uh, a a booby trap. Then after that, they find a little abandoned villa Mm -hmm. and they see a dogfight which results in a downed German plane. And dogfight, I'll just stop there because I wasn't actually familiar with the term. Oh, okay. I figured it out from context clues. But this is when you have planes that are like flying at each other yeah it's it's planes fighting it's yeah. a dog fight yeah yeah, yeah 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 um and the german plane loses the dog fight and crashes they decide to rescue the german fighter pilot but that proves to be a mistake because he kills blake yeah and then Schofield kills him which we talked about a little bit on uh the ride back but there was uh, that was somewhat shocking. I mean, I think we knew we kind of pegged Blake to be the one who's going to die early on. Um, it was just kind of set up that way. I didn't expect it to be so early. It on. was very early in the movie, and it kind of it, obviously it completely changes the tone of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it was an emotional scene. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Um, and the way that it happens is, I mean, I felt it very lifelike, you know, he, he gets stabbed. Um, he, you know, it's not quite sure what's happening. You know, he's not squirting blood all over the place. Like you see in horror movies. Um, he's, he's definitely bleeding really bad and you definitely know like this isn't good. I think both of them also know immediately that it's a fatal wound. Yes. Which is the worst part because it's like. They both know it's a fatal wound, and yet it's going to take a little bit while. Ugh, it's going to take a little while for that fatality to reach, you know? Right. So it, it's the worst possible thing where you've got the realization that you're going to die, but it's, you know, you've got to sit with that knowledge, you know, yeah. before it finally reaches you. It's horrible. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I thought it was very real the way that it played out. Um, I think it avoided some cliches that movies sometimes do. You know, we've seen that scene a thousand times where, um, you know, the one soldier is cradling his buddy who's dying and, and trying to say something nice to him before he goes. And, you know, they it just felt a little bit more real than other times we've seen that uh, yeah. that construction. Well, for one, uh, Blake asks him if he's dying and he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't go like, no, man, you're just going to be OK. You're just going to. He, he he just tells him, he's like, yeah, you're dying. Yeah. And also, uh, I know this is more common, like when it's a lover who dies, but there was no uh, scream into the air with like no! a crane. Sh- no! yeah. yeah, yeah. So after that, he hitches a ride with some other British soldiers. Um, during the scene, too, we get uh, at several points in the movie, there are shots of non white British soldiers. Yeah. Which I appreciated because it. Number one, acknowledges the uh, contributions of non-white soldiers. Two, visually breaks up the monotony of all of these white faces mm-hmm. uh, visually. And uh, three, there is no three. Those are just the only two points that I have. I just like those two things about it. Yeah. But um, in this scene in particular, there's a Sikh soldier. And the only reason I pointed out in particular is that uh, apparently... Uh, some jerks have been complaining about this. Really? Yeah, and I'm just like, why? Now, is it historically inaccurate? I don't know. I would imagine that they wouldn't have included um, a Sikh character if that was not something that happened. And I would also imagine that, yeah, there were, there was, you know, in that time in England, the occasional ethnic minority that just stands to reason right so yeah what i've seen in the responses to those complaints is that uh there were uh sikh soldiers Mm -hmm. and soldiers from all across the uh british empire who participated they tended to be in their own units Mm -hmm. but it is the kind of thing that could have happened sure so and also like why complain right yeah let's let's get some other people in there so anyway then he gets to the French town. He fights a sniper. He gets grazed in the head and knocked out for a while. Mm-hmm. Wakes up, runs through the town in the darkness. We do get a woman. You get your French girl. There we, she was. It's always a French girl. Yeah. Always a French girl. Well, normally, so in American films, and we did forget one World War II movie that we... Uh, could have brought up which is wonder woman ah but um in the united states we do tend to prefer world war ii movies one because i think as americans we just prefer the uh 
World War II having much more clear, delineated good guys and bad guys mm-hmm. to um, the action is much more cinematic, for lack of a better word. As we mentioned in part one, World War I is a much more brutal and like the violence is just a much more of a meat an off-putting meat grinder yeah as opposed to world war ii which can have sweeping movement of armies right you know it's just you know it lends itself to being an action film which is what we americans like as rah-rah you know cinema goers but long story short in the world war ii movies that we prefer always the girl is a french girl and she's always part of the french resistance that's always what it is. Right. Or she's a medic. Yeah. Sometimes she's a medic, but I feel like it's always a girl in the French resistance who they run into. Yeah. And she falls in love with one of them. Then- so, so and, it, and there you go. You had it here. You had your French girl. And then twist, another twist, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> There's a friggin' baby. But it's not her baby. It's not her baby. She doesn't know whose baby it is. Oh, but, and also the baby needs milk. Oh, and, you know, uh, luckily he picked up some milk earlier from a disgusting bucket full of crap and flies. Well, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's better than what he's been getting lately. Oh, that's absolutely right. But, well, that was actually one thing that I appreciated throughout the movie. I'm not sure I would say I enjoyed it, but I appreciated it where they really showed kind of the, the conditions um, that they were in in these wars um, and, you know, the the rats and the flies and and just the crap all over the place and the dead bodies just lying all over the place um, and dead animals. And just it, it, it really seemed like a, a, a crappy situation to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so at one point they do. He fills up his canteen with uh, with milk from a bucket that he finds and. Um, and, you know, it doesn't look like the freshest milk, but it's not going to hurt him. It's still good, you know. And then he passes it to the baby, which was nice. Would it hurt a baby? I don't think so. Babies were tougher back then. Oh, that's right. Before before this pussified generation, babies can handle anything. <laughs> that's right. But um, he gets out of the village. He jumps in a river. The river brings him to the uh, group of soldiers that he's trying to get to. Yeah. He is too late to save all of them because right. the, the battle has started, but he discovers that uh, the attack is happening in waves. The first wave has gone, uh, but he can save the second wave, and he does. He gets the message there. Spoiler alert, he gets the message in time to stop the second wave. Yeah. And uh, after that, the movie concludes. I would also say, too, um, so throughout the movie, um, you get uh, kind of like a who's who of British actor cameos in these different uh, people who pop in and out. So Colin Firth does show up as the general gives him the orders. Then uh, Mark Strong shows up. A hot priest. Hot priest. Yeah, he's there. Also Moriarty from Sherlock. Yeah. Before we get Sherlock himself later on, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch is in the film. But the one guy who I didn't realize is in this movie is fucking Rob Stark, Richard Madden. There we go. Who is right there slipping in right at the end as Blake's brother, who sadly Blake did not make it, but uh, Schofield, who uh, let's... um. Find out who I did not know who this actor was. No, he's the face is familiar. I've definitely seen him in something else. Um, I'm sure of that, but I didn't know his name either of the two. Uh, either of the two lads. This guy's name is George McKay. 
He is a British actor who was born in 1992. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel? He's been in uh, The Boys Are Back, Captain Fantastic, Ophelia. Are any of these ringing bells for you? I mean, they're movies I'm aware of, but I haven't watched any of those. I, I also kind of like kept feeling like I maybe recognized him, yeah. but maybe it's just he has that that British face. Maybe it is because I kind of felt like he was I, he was maybe a child actor and something that I saw like several years ago. Um, but I'm no, not seeing anything not. in his filmography. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that kid's got a career ahead of him. Yeah, he was good. He was good. But so uh, he delivers this message to Richard Madden and then... At the very end, the the last quote-unquote scene, because in a movie like this, the scenes are kind of like tough to delineate, but he's told Blake's brother, Richard Madden, that uh, Blake was a good man. He saved my life. You know, they've had their moment. And he starts walking towards this tree where he's finally, after his whole ordeal, he's going to sit down and like rest yeah. and have a second. And he pulls out these photographs of... Um, it's his, it's his mother and sister. I took it to be. That was my takeaway too. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a girlfriend or wife. No, right. I, I don't, don't think, think so. so. Yeah. But, um, to, you know, his family and he was looking at them and, uh, it's like basically the last moment of the movie. He flips one of them over and it's inscribed. Someone's written on the back of it anyway. It says, uh, come back to us. Yeah. And, uh, I got kind of choked up there. It's emotional for sure. Yeah. And like, I, I'd felt a lot of things during the course of the movie, you know, um, I'd felt tense and anxious and mm -hmm. interested mm -hmm. and like roused, like all, all normal things, but I hadn't felt necessarily moved even in the scene where Blake died. I, the movie had left me a little cold, at Agreed. least in that way. But yeah. that final moment, I got pretty close to crying. Mm -hmm. um, it hit me right there at the end. Just like that reading when he flipped that photo over and reading that inscription there. And just like at that last moment. And I was saying to you, too, on the way back, I was a little unused to that coming so close to the very end of the movie normally if there's a part where i get choked up at a film it's not quite so close to the end so i right. have some time to compose myself before the lights come up but this happened like right at the end so i was like very like verklempt right <laughs> as it, it was time to like leave so i was kind of yeah. like oh god like don't let anyone look <laughs> nobody look at me <laughs> yeah. now can, i mean can we talk about this can i ask are you a, are you generally a crier at movies um sword i would say that it is very easy to get me to cry at a movie if you hit the right notes mm -hmm. you know like basically i have my weak points mm -hmm. and if you hit them then it's pretty easy but if you don't i am pretty cold mm -hmm. so it, it's both a yes and no like mm -hmm. uh what what moves me tends to be um music yeah like a, a stirring music will really get to me. Also, um, fathers and sons stuff, mm -hmm. which is a little weird because I do have a good relationship with both my parents. So it's like not I don't think speaking to anything in my life, but like 
the part in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where uh, Sean Connery finally says Indiana, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like that gets to me that that sort of stuff is the kind of thing that gets me emotional. So, yeah, it, it, it if it's the right thing, it is pretty easy to get me to cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? Oh, I, I'm a huge crier. Yeah, I, I all the time. Every friggin movie. Every yeah. movie. Um, I mean, I think because, as you mentioned, when he turns it over, you know, I definitely it, it hit the emotional strings. But um, because we were kind of in, in a theater with a bunch of people and because it was so quick, because, you know, the credits came up right after that and people started shuffling out, um, which I don't even think is a criticism of the movie. I think had I been watching the movie at home by myself, I might have like took it, taken a moment or two as the credits began to roll. Um, probably not, you know, full on crying, but I think like that, that initial, um, feeling would have, would have stayed with me for, for a few more moments. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'll tell you what actually does cut to me the fastest. You, you just made me think of it is, um, animal suffering. I can't, I yeah. can't, I can't. Animal suffering is, is, I guess there's like a few things that to me, like horror movies are fine. Oh but yeah. But anything, a realistic depiction of either child abuse or, or a, a, a animal suffering, I cannot. Oh, see, for me, it's, it's the reverse. It's not child abuse. It's old people. Oh, like if you show too. me like an old person standing at the grave of their like long time husband or wife who has just passed. Oh my God. Like that'll, that'll get the water. I used to be much more um, embarrassed and kind of shy about crying in front of people at movies. Uh-huh. But now I'm much more, I guess I am kind of a crier now. At least I'm just much more open about it. Right. You know, but I will say what, what I'm thinking of. And what made me think of animal suffering is that I'm back when I was younger and much more um, ashamed as as a as a dude and much more ashamed to show my emotions in front of people. Right. The Peter Jackson King Kong movie, which came out when I was in college. Yeah. I went to see it like opening weekend talking about another crowded movie experience. And uh, my best friend at the time was dating a girl. He was like, hey. I'm dating this new girl. It's starting to get serious. You're my best friend. I want to introduce you to her and her to you. Like, I want the two of you to, like, meet and get along. You know, let's all go to this movie and this will be a good chance for you guys to, like, all get to know each other. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why don't you two sit next to each other? I'm like, okay, fine. So the three of us are at this movie. I'm sitting next to this girl who I'm meeting for the first time. Again, not on a date with her, but just, like, I'm meeting this chick and then I don't know how well you remember the end of Peter Jackson's King Kong. I don't think I do. I remember Adrian Brody rides a pterodactyl at one point. Okay, well, King Kong gets shot to death for the last oh, 45 minutes of that yeah, movie. Yeah, that's awful. And what really set me off wasn't just that he's being slowly murdered. It's like the passion of the Kong for the last like <laughs> hour of that movie. But it's not even that. It's that King Kong... This this is what always gets me with animal stuff, too, is that he didn't understand really what was happening. It's like pain is being inflicted on him, and he doesn't really understand what's happening, yeah. like why it's happening, what's hurting him, yeah. what he can do to stop it. And he, in fact, is not even really, he doesn't care about himself. He is just trying to vainly protect Naomi Watts. Yeah. So he's just like bringing it on himself more 
lashing out trying to protect Naomi Watts and just like killing himself more. And it's like slow Mm -hmm. and painful and awful. And so long story short, for the last 45 minutes of this movie, I wasn't just crying, but like loudly sobbing. Oh, man. Like tears, snot, like that, like that back of your throat sob catching at the back of your throat where it's yeah, yeah. like you're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah. in like i had my sh- the the bottom of my shirt up in my face like you know just like buried my face in the in in my shirt just soaking it and again packed theater <laughs> You might wonder, why didn't I just leave? It's because the theater was so jam-packed and we were in the center of the aisle. I didn't feel like I could stand up and get out of the theater. It was so crowded. I was trapped in there. So I just, like, cried so hard in front of this girl who, like, I don't know what she thought of me. (laughs) But, like, she was a bit so weirded out. But anyway... Uh, so yeah, long story short, I suppose I am a crier. Well, you know, there's nothing, and and as you said, you know, getting older, it's something that I've you know embraced. I don't, I'm complete. You know, I I I I I find it to be an opportunity because I think in my real life, I rarely cry about like real life things. I, I but you know, for some reason, like the musical cue or just some sort of touching moment that happens. And it just kind of it just kind of hits, and yeah. and I just I, I like to go with it. I don't fight. It feels it. good, doesn't it? It feels good to cry. Yeah, this has turned into quite the therapy it is session. Quite the here. digression, I know. <laughs> well, bring it back. You notice that at the end, when he finds out that his brother is killed, Richard Madden does not cry. He does a little bit, but he well, tries. He, he wants to, but His, this is stiff upper lip generation. I know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, British as well. Yeah, like not just. I mean, stiff upper lip British, too, but that generation, yeah. like, can't show you, like, he wants to cry so bad, like, the the chin, uh, his lip is quivering, he's, like, so ready to go. And the other guy, like, I was just like, dude, like, give him a hug, right. grab his shoulder, like, no, you don't touch do that. him. No, that's like stiff something. upper lip, man. Oh, boy, I was like, man, that is a cold society, dude. <laughs> God damn. Like, they're at war together. You can't even just give them a pat on the shoulder. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> they shake hands. They do shake hands. A little later. Hearty handshake. That's that's what you get. Fuck me. Yeah. So, um, I guess this would be a good opportunity to talk about some of the other acting in the film. Yeah. Uh, we liked uh, George McKay as Schofield, I think. What did you think of Blake? He was good, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, he didn't he didn't have as big of a um, you know he wasn't carrying the whole movie. Um, McKay is that his name, George McKay? Yeah, uh, I mean, he carried the whole movie on his shoulders, and for an actor who really you know, as far as we know, hasn't you know led a lot of projects before, um, it it is a difficult thing to do, um, and he did it very well. Yeah, I think I should also say a. Uh, Blake is not the actor's name. His name is Dean Charles Chapman. That's a very British name. Sure is, yeah. You know, George McKay had so much to do. Is he in frame 
every second of this movie? Not literally every second, because there are times where the camera's kind of panning around and either to show other characters or to show the landscape. But he is in, I mean, he, he's never far from it. He's in every, obviously he's in every shot because the shots are long and he's, in, you know. But yeah, he's he's all throughout it. I mean, there is nothing in the movie that isn't, doesn't hinge on him. So his performance had to be amazing, and it was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I agree. He's he's very good and can, you know, good good on you for the job you did. Yeah. Also, I want to say in looking up his name, uh, I got a little thing. According to Wikipedia, anyway, the photograph that he's looking at at the end is not a wife and sister, but um, or sorry, is not a mom and sister, but a wife and two daughters. Oh, so it was kind of a reveal because he did yeah, he ever mention that. Yeah, yeah, th- that would be a reveal and kind of changes the context a little oh, bit. Okay. I, d- I don't think it changes it so much that it really changes anything necessarily, but right. I, I think it does actually maybe even, does it make it hit harder? I don't know if it does. I mean, it changes the nature of the relationship of what he's looking at, but, you know, I think it's still emotional no matter what. Yeah what the source of the message is really just you know you want to go home yeah yeah so i guess though if it's like a wife and daughters it's maybe even more so maybe even more so should we take a moment (laughs) should we cry again should we cry um (laughs) but i mean we're mentioning and and just kind of thinking about how this whole thing was put together and the amazing job that that you know obviously the lead actors did but every cameo actor and everyone behind the scenes i mean you really have to construct these things and someone makes one mistake and you got to do the whole damn thing all over again and good lord you know that's why that casting was so important i mean if they you know we talked about the british cameos imagine they had ricky gervais and his and his Well, I think he would have stood out too much. He would have stood out too much, but he's also notorious for ruining takes by laughing. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. Imagine just Gervais. Damn it. That was a $400,000 shot you just ruined. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God damn. $400,000. That was probably like a $5 million shot that you ruined. What am I saying? Yeah. And I guess, I mean, should we take a moment just to praise Deacons? Oh, of course we should. So this was amazing. And we went into it expecting, um, and we talked a lot about Deacons in uh, part one. And, you know, he's been somebody, you know, one of the handful, and I'm not, I'm enough of a movie guy to appreciate cinematography. I'm not as much of a movie guy to know a lot of cinematographers' names. How many cinematographers can you really name? Like, I'm the same as you. Like, I'm, I'm casually a fan of movies probably more than your average guy but i'm not like you know i'm not like a professional movie critic right or anything like that i'm in i'm and a passionate amateur so like i can name like th- two or three cinematographers yeah. but this guy is one of them yeah you know and i mean look i'm looking at some of the movies he's done again assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford you've got no country for old men yeah you've, a lot of cohen's a right? lot of cohen's you've got uh Oh, including Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is one of the ones that looks really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Skyfall, uh, Fargo, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got uh, Jarhead, which is uh, another Sam Mendes collaboration, which uh, I saw not the greatest, but the look of it 
looked great. Yeah. You know, it's funny, the way I used to think about Sam Mendes, I don't I do not know how to pronounce his last name. Right. Mendes. The way I used to think about Sam Mendes was that like his movies aren't always great, but boy do they always look really good. Right. Maybe I just really like Roger Deakins. Yeah. Um fucking yeah, Sicari Prisoners, another Denis Villeneuve collaboration. Blade Runner 2049. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was him. That was gorgeous. That was really gorgeous, actually. Man, this guy. Super good. So he's up and and we're, you know, it's not spoiling anything. The 2020 Oscars are tomorrow. So we don't know who's going to win all these awards. 1917, I think, like has won like the Golden Globes and a few other things leading up to it. So it's kind of the odds on favorite, I think. Um, But Deacons has got to be a lock for cinematography tomorrow. I mean... How could anyone, you know, get the get that award ahead of this film? It was just incredible. What else is nominated? I would imagine I'm going to guess because I, I definitely read it at some point, but I'm going to guess that uh, Joker because Joker's nominated for everything. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh right, um, yeah, that looked good too. Right, um, which is I think uh, Robert Richardson. I believe he's a longtime Tarantino collaborator. I think I don't know what else. All right, but yeah, I mean, I, I having not seen a lot of the Best Picture nominees this year, I would nonetheless say I feel pretty confident that this should be an odds-on yeah. favorite to win. It was just, I mean, also just, again, the the technical achievement of it right. is just incredible. Degree of difficulty, you got to, you got to kind of give props for that, right? I mean, I, I feel like you should, although how much should you? So there's a good question, right? Because how much of it is doing it just to do it and prove that you can, and how much of it is... Um, you know, it's it's kind of like when an actor like loses or gains a bunch of weight, or or you know, if you're Leonardo DiCaprio and you get eaten by a bear or something, right? You know, just just give me the Oscar, damn it! It's like, are you rewarding just like effort, right? Or are you rewarding achievement, right? But I mean, in this case, you obviously have both. You obviously have both, and yeah, it was it was great. And you gotta you you have to credit, of course, Mendes as well for being the one who kind of brought it all together. Um, and, you know, obviously had to coordinate the whole thing and orchestrate the whole thing. You know, if I was going to raise one criticism of the movie, it's that, um, I feel like this actually tends to happen in movies like this, where, uh, it's unfolding ostensibly in real time, Mm -hmm. where, even though it's happening in real time or maybe because it's happening in real time, what happens is the writer, the director, whoever is telling the story attempts to have every single thing that is representative of that event. Like let's say if it's like a war, Mm -hmm. like everything representative of that war happens within that real time story. So like with world war one, uh, everything basically except for poison gas uh, comes up in this. You know, we've got like the trenches mm-hmm. The you know, we get like shots, a few shots of like some tanks. We stop in, we get snipers. We get a few moments with airplane fighting. Mm-hmm. We get some uh, 
discussions of what to do with prisoners. We get a few. We get some downtime, like in like undisturbed country. We get time in no man's land. Mm-hmm. We get time like just like being transported from place to place. We get time with civilians. It's like we didn't necessarily have to stop in with the civilians, right? You know, and see that. You know, on this is where I thought the movie dragged a little bit. Actually, I think we could have cut out the French girl. Um, I guess you could have, but it also, I mean, now knowing what we know about what the end shot means, um, sort of foreshadows that somewhat. And, um, you know, the poem that he tells the baby is one that we assume now that he's told his own child. And so there's sort of the echo of that yeah. and the reason that he's, and it, it kind of brought some, a human aspect to it, but no, I, I, th- I think you're right. Or I mean, certainly, and I think maybe just because I, I was laughing a little bit to myself because you had called it before we went into the, went into the movie and I was like, oh, there's the French girl, you know? So I, yeah. I think that it was less effective than it could have been just because of that. But I do get what you're saying. A few parts of it did drag for me. And it is, I think, for the reasons that you're mentioning. And also because it's all, you know, because it was all one shot, you know, there were certain times where I thought that the storytelling uh, suffered from that a little bit. For instance, the the truck scene where he gets on the back of the truck with the with the other soldiers and they're driving and they get stuck in the mud and. I don't know. It's like we're wa- now we're watching them stuck in the mud. That's not entertaining, really. And but it was necessary because you had to kind of slow down the pacing for a while and give the movie a chance to breathe. And that was a way of getting it done. But there was also because it was in real time uh, in, a, in a more standard movie that would be kind of shot up uh, or, or chopped up a little bit. And you would have that scene in the back of the truck but it would be assumed that more time had elapsed. Whereas here it's like they drove him for like five minutes. That's it. You know, yeah, I know <laughs> it's like, thanks a lot guys. Got like a quarter of a mile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there were a few other parts of the movie where I thought that a little bit, like it was not realistic that stuff like that would have elapsed in that time period. I guess there was one sort of time jump in the movie where he gets knocked unconscious and, and wakes up. Um, kind of t- b- before dawn, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, there. I actually, so he gets knocked out, and he wakes up, and it's dark, so he doesn't know how much time he's lost, right. and his watch is broken. Yeah, and it immediately goes outside, and he goes outside and starts walking through the town, and I just had a tiny little quibble with it and like maybe he didn't think of it but i it was the first thing i thought of which is so he he, this is after he's fought the sniper the sniper was taking shots at him he runs into the building Mm -hmm. he gets up the stairs and he and the sniper both shoot each other he kills the sniper the sniper gets him in the head knocks him out yeah he wakes up it's dark. He doesn't know how much time he's lost. His watch is broken and then he, he pulls himself up and he goes outside and keeps going and my thought was like, go to the sniper's body and see if he's wearing a watch. Yeah, <laughs> probably resourceful to do that. I mean, you wouldn't lose much time just taking a look. And that's a German watch, man. That thing will run forever. Dude, it will never break. It will never tell you the wrong time. I mean, it's got a little cuckoo popping out of it once an hour, but you can deal with that. I think those are Swiss watches, actually. <laughs> um, At least that's what they'll tell you after the war. <laughs> 
Now, one thing that you mentioned or or that you reminded me of a thought I had watching the movie is, and as opposed to, um, you know, the World War II, the classic World War II American movies that we're used to, um, where it was just so hand to hand and where people are just stabbing each other or trying to shoot each other at really close range or running after one another. And it's just reminds you of one, just how fragile life is and two, how it's just all kind of chaos and, um, and, and just how ineffective really people are that, that you don't often see in movies where you're used to seeing, you know, Sylvester Stallone, like mow down 20 people with his, uh, with his machine gun where it's like, they're chasing each other in close range, trying to shoot at one another and, you know, missing most of the time, which is how it actually happens. Well, is it? I, I started to wonder if actually maybe that was the the other end of the spectrum where it was the bad guys suffering from Stormtrooper aim. Right. Well, I don't think it was. I mean, you and this, you know, not to bring up a whole gun control conversation, but I think the statistic is that that trained people who are trained with guns, um, people in the military or police officers in action situations high stress situations their accuracy is about 20 percent. interesting less than um which you know obviously uh belies the argument that um you know i've got this gun for my protection it's like sure you're gonna wake up in the middle of the night well you know and you're gonna right, have right. perfect you know dirty hairy aim um but uh, because of that, and you know, they're running around, it's dark, they're bumping into things, they don't really know the terrain, they're trying to shoot and run at the same time at a moving Heck, target. Some of, the, some of them are drunk. Some of them are drunk. Yeah. Uh, and who can blame them? Um, yeah, so it, it, and it was always tense, you always felt like, and I think this is what they did, um, you know, when you had, you know, the second to main character die so early in the movie, it just like, anything can happen at any point. Yeah, and I definitely felt like, you know, like when gunshots were going off, even though I was pretty confident he wasn't going to get hit, like the the every time a little pop went off, I just you felt how dangerous those shots were. Yeah. Which war movies don't always accomplish. Right. The first war movie I ever saw actually that effectively made me care about casualties and feel the stakes of gunshots and impacts was saving private ryan yeah until then seeing someone get shot was always like in these older war movies it was just like they would just kind of go like oh and slump and fall down mm-hmm. and you would just it was the kind of thing you could just ignore and saving private ryan was the first time i actually sort of like felt it I, not to overuse this word but like viscerally yeah where i started to get like tense and nervous and anxious all the time this movie kind of got me maybe not as far as that did but mm-hmm. like most of the way there mm-hmm. in a way that i'd say most even today war movies don't accomplish mm-hmm. so it did a good job with that yeah and also like the whole thing and uh, you know not to bring it back to like the effectiveness of the cinematography but just like the immersiveness of like the mud yeah. And the barbed wire everywhere and just like everything, just like how awful those conditions were. Oh. Very, 
early on a scene that I, you know, don't want to dwell on too much, but it's worth noting, which I thought was almost kind of like a slapstick moment, uh, a, a macabre slapstick moment where um, where he catches his say. hand in the yeah. barbed wire. Then they hop down in the trench and he puts his hand next to him and he's put his hand in the wound of a dead person. So now he's got the dead blood and guts in his in his scratch on his hand or his wound on yeah, his hand. It's horrible. And he just kind of grimaces and it's gross. Yeah. Um, but almost like a comedic beat. Yeah. It's what passes for a comedic moment in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I would actually say maybe that um, that No Man's Land scene is the best scene in the movie. Could be. You know, one scene I thought was very affecting just from kind of an edge of your seat and tense was, was the waterfall scene. Where he falls into the, the water and he's swimming around and then, holy shit, and he goes over the waterfall and, it, and he's submerged in the water and it's just yeah i that 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 was one scene that i really felt um was was just viscerally affecting huh yeah i guess for me um it was uh i guess because it was so early in the movie and also it was just the world war oneiness yeah of it and it was it, like that no man's land scene i think was it was where their choice to do this continuous shot style paid off the most i think was in that passage between the trenches through no man's land it really immersed you in that Mm -hmm. horrible like destroyed moonscape of no man's land so well um so yeah anyway um do we have any other final thoughts about this movie i we've i know we've been kind of all over the place but all over the map but i think we covered Kind of fresh back from the theater, too, and still kind of like just fresh in our reactions to the film. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, just I I thought this was very good. Yeah. Um, Have you seen so you haven't seen a lot of the best pictures? I've actually seen most of them or I've done better this year than I have in most years. There's only a few of them I haven't seen. And either because it's a movie I don't really want to see, like like I don't want to see Marriage Story. Um (laughs) <laughs> and we can go into why um we don't have to we don't have to um I'm, I'm sure it's fine i like everyone involved it's just you know um but you know it, it is kind of the odds on favorite to win best picture my favorite movie of the year was parasite um i also thought that you know once upon a time in hollywood was very good um and that it might be uh it, it might be tarantino's um uh, what's the Scorsese movie that they finally gave him the Oscar for? Uh, the Departed. The Departed. It might be Scorsese or, or Tarantino's Departed, where it's like, all right, it's time for it's, it's his time. Let's give it to him. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but uh, uh, but the, but I will not be upset if this movie wins as it's predicted to. Yeah. We're okay. So we're we're transitioning now, maybe into a, a few minutes of uh, Oscars corner. Okay. We'll do some we'll do some uh, Oscars predictions. A little Oscars better late than nevering. Uh, pre pre Oscars predictions. Uh, oh, actually, I also want to say, uh, just to get on record, another better late than never happened tonight, which is that I tried the Impossible Burger for yes. the first time. As we were uh, waiting for the movie to start, we had enough time to get some food, so I ate an Impossible Burger. Ladies and gentlemen, it was better late. That shit tastes real good. It tastes like real meat. It looks like real meat. Tastes great. Try the Impossible Burger. But um, yeah, so um, before we switch into Oscars Corner, though, just to get your official, I mean, we know what it is, but this yeah. movie better, better late. late or, you know, I'm not sure if we can count it late, really. 
I guess it is because I guess it's, we're late to it, right? Yeah, yeah we're sure. only catching it now as opposed to the weekend it came out or something. But yeah, same here. It is better late. This this was a great film. Go see it. I know reviews on it have been kind of like a little mixed. And again, I, I do think there's maybe I, I don't want to say there's like a weakness in the characters or any or the emotion of the story or that it like elevates spectacle above character or story or anything like that. I can see how it does. It's sort of like is one of those movies that kind of carries you forward. Yeah, I think it's a fair criticism what it, you're saying or not it, necessarily a criticism, just a descriptor. Yeah, because it has to like there's not a lot of time to stop and like deepen these characters very much, but it it does what it can. And I, I think as we've discussed, it does it enough that like that last moment of the film, which is a character beat, hit very hard for us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I thought very good movie. So uh, that being said, Oscars corner of of the best picture nominees. The only other one I've seen is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which I liked well enough, mm-hmm. not as much as this film. Um, I haven't seen Parasite, which was also on the table for doing tonight. But of course, you've seen it already. Yeah. You were willing to see it again. Yeah. But I figured maybe one that both of us haven't seen. I think we've been the right call. Yeah, I think so, too. But also, I guess this is going into part of why I sort of not didn't want to see it, but wasn't gung ho to see it. And part of why I haven't seen it already is that um, I have seen other films by Bong Joon-ho. Uh-huh. I've seen um, Memories of Murder. Okay. Snowpiercer and mm-hmm. The Host. Mm-hmm. I have been told by friends and critics alike that I should like all of those three films. Okay. And I don't. Okay. And so with this movie, I it comes out and I just sort of like, again, this this is the word I'm getting both from my critics and from my friends, mm-hmm. is that like, this is a great movie and you should go see it. And it's sort of like, I feel like I've heard this song before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I remember Snowpiercer was kind of a big deal or, or something that... You know, people whose opinions I tend to share, uh, you know, talked it up. And when I saw it, I just didn't hit home for me. I thought that it was just, um, I thought that it was very on the nose, the satire of, you know, the whole thing of, oh, the poor people are on the back of the train. And, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and arguably some parts of Parasite are even more on the nose in their commentary, but it just, it just works so well, I thought. Um, And it's incredibly shot. It builds a suspense um, and it has some things that you don't see coming. There's humor throughout the whole film. Um, it's, it's just, I, I think it's an incredible movie and, uh, you know, maybe you won't like it. That's, we'll see when that happens, but, um, uh, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, th- that is the thing is that like, you know, this, this movie does appear to have built a crescendo critically that outdoes those other ones, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where it's like. Even if you didn't like those, like this one seems to be even particularly good. Yeah. So maybe give it a chance. So I will see it eventually, but um, I just was not raring to see it. Sure. I had the same issue with Knives Out, which is kind of 
basically the exact same problem, which is that it's directed. It's the kind of movie that I should want to see because I love kind of the Agatha Christie style oh, mystery yeah. film. I love the cast, mm-hmm. but it's directed by Ryan Johnson. You've got a pro- I love Ryan Johnson. He's made three films that I've seen three of his films. Okay. I've seen Brick, yep. Looper, mm-hmm. and Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and I don't like any of them. Hmm. And with all three, I feel like reading at least the critical consensus on them, they all say that these movies are really, really good and you should like them. And yet I walk away from them feeling cold. And so uh, Knives Out comes out and I'm reading the same thing. And once again, it's like, I have heard the song before uh-huh. and color me skeptical. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to fall for it this time. So Ryan Johnson, I first became aware of because he was a very regular director on Breaking Bad, which I is not a show that I've watched. Okay, it's a better, it's it's a better late than never. Stay tuned for me. I'll have to catch that another time. Okay, um, there are some very pivotal uh, and very well. I know he directed the Fly episodes. episode and Ozzy, or did he do Ozzy Mandius? Uh, I believe he did Ozzy Mandius. I know him um, and Michelle McLaren are the two. And Michelle McLaren also did a bunch from of them. Breaking yeah, Bad, yeah. And uh, I believe he did. There's there's one episode towards the end of the run which is uh, which is take, is about a train heist, um, mm. and it's basically a train heist movie. It could be a standalone movie. Um, and he directed that. Um, Looper was, you know, we'll have to agree to disagree. It was actually my favorite movie of the year it came out. I mean, it's the type of movie I'm a sucker for. I, I like sci-fi a lot. I like time travel movies and kind of the holes that they dig themselves into narratively. And one sequence in Looper, which is why it was my favorite, because it was just something that I'd never seen done and was just kind of like conceptually very cool and also very gross and disturbing, was the scene where the older version of the character is trying to run away yep. and they're torturing the younger version and you start seeing the the, the fingers of him are disappearing yeah. yeah well that's kind of the thing with him that i i want to be really clear about this with ryan johnson in particular actually is that um when i say that i didn't like those movies mm-hmm. i mean that very specifically in that what i mean is that i did not like them but what I don't mean is that I think they were bad. Mm-hmm. I own Brick. I, I bought it. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've seen Looper. I've seen The Last Jedi. And I think maybe even let's put The Last Jedi aside because it has so much cultural baggage. But I feel like what I'm about to say is kind of applicable to it in the same way. But, mm-hmm. like, I see these movies and, like, I don't think they're bad films. Like, and th- this and also what I'm saying, I think goes for Bong Joon-ho just as much for Ryan Johnson's that clearly talented the movies are well made they've got you know a really strong sense of visual style a lot of the time the acting in them is good there's nothing really that i can point to that's wrong with them right and they clearly have strong directorial vision and style they're they're good artists and i don't really have anything about them where i say like i think you guys are bad at being directors it's just mm-hmm. more like when i see their work something about it does not connect with me mm-hmm. so i want to be really really clear that it's one of those things where it's not this is a bad movie this is a movie that i did not personally like right you know so 
I, I might wind up seeing Parasite and Knives Out eventually, but I, I am taking my time getting to them because sure. I feel like I've just been burned before. Right. You know? I mean, I enjoyed both both those films immensely, and I do understand what you're saying, and I think it's a great distinction to make, the one that you just did, because I think people don't do, do that, that enough. enough. Yeah, I think people agreed. say it's good or bad, meaning did I personally like it or not like it. And that like means does it have objective value? And I, I, right. I also, I appreciate that the two, I actually do appreciate the two of them, because the two of them are like two of the few directors who seem to be like making a successful go of it doing creative original work that's right well i mean you know snowpiercer is an adaptation and whatever but whatever they're you know knives out is an original piece of work yes. and parasites an original piece of work and i actually I, I like that the two of them are doing this you know so i want them to be out there doing what they do it's not even that i like want them to stop it's more just kind of like what you do is not for me Right. I think about what you do is you bring up a really good point, because I almost feel at this point in this day and age where the state of movies being what they are, if someone is doing a movie that's not based on an on existing IP or is not, you know, a big, huge blockbuster or is not just, you know, something of that, you know, so, the type of movies that I feel used to come out every week when we were kids that just don't get made anymore, the sort of uh, mid-budget um, kind of just a, a story or genre movie or, or something personal. And now I feel like it's either the huge Marvel or Star Wars movies or it's, you know, a very a small super indie, a super indie that yeah. they or, or, you know, an Oscar baiting movie. And there's not just regular fucking movies anymore. Yeah, so anytime a regular fucking movie comes out, I feel like politically I have to, you have like to support it. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But the thing is, uh, Parasite and Knives Out have both made enough money that I feel like I don't have to have to do them any favors. <laughs> you know fine, what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but I would recommend both of them, and and would be will be curious to hear what you think of them when you do yeah. see them. Well, Knives Out especially is just like I just again love that style of movie. But then again, you would think that a neo noir set at a high school would be exactly my cup of tea too. And I just like something about it. I just. Mm. No, I. What's well, that missing? Was, that was. I can't even put my finger on it. That was my deal with Snowpiercer, right? Because like my favorite type of movie is uh, is a dystopian future satire that's a science fiction, but it's commenting on society and it's and it's bizarre and it's out there and it's bananas. And that's exactly what Snowpiercer was. And it just it just kind of exactly what you're describing. Um, but I'm, the other movies that Bong has made, I've I've enjoyed them all. So. Um, mm. Well, all right. Well, let's um, let's turn this to projected winners. Yeah. What do we think? Let's just do some of the big categories. So who do you think is going to take down director? Uh, see, I think you got to say Mendy's just because, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm predicting 1917 for best picture. I don't think it's a lock. Uh, we already talked about some of the movies that might overtake it. But, you know, there's really very few movies that I'd be shocked by. The only one I think on the best picture uh category that has no chances ford v ferrari um yeah but you know it could be mary story it could be once upon a time it could be parasite pulling out a, an upset so but i'm gonna go with i think it's gonna be mendy's if it isn't him maybe they give it to tarantino kind of as his departed sort of um because it's his second to last movie as so uh, he so he claims uh -huh. um or maybe they give it to bong i think Okay, here's I think this is going to be my bold call. All right. I think they're going to give it to Tarantino. Mm -hmm. 
because and this is going to give away my next uh, my next question which will be best picture but uh i think 1917 will win best picture mm-hmm. i think best picture is going to be a race between um i don't think joker is going to win it um, i i kind of hope not and we don't have to have the joker conversation well maybe we uh, i'll uh, we'll do joker maybe related to another category yes in a second. i think we will for best pick, I think it's between Parasite and 1917, and I honestly think that the Academy is too racist and mm. xenophobic to give mm. it to Parasite, so they'll give it to 1917. They'll probably be like, I want to give it to an American movie, so let's give it to 1917. I mean, it's weird because have they ever given it to a foreign language film? I don't think that they not, have. Not and, off the top of my head, but I don't know. And then it's also And that American weird. comment was a joke, by the way. I'm fully cognizant that uh, <laughs> it's it's Brits at war. Yes. Um, but uh, um, there, it's also weird that, that you know, it can be... Into, because they have best foreign language film, which is going to be Parasite. I think that's as close to and a And they'll consider that good have. enough. And they consider that good enough. Yeah. Yeah. But so for director then, Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. Yeah. True. So they'll give it to Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And then for 1917, they'll give Deakins the award for cinematography, and yeah. then Mendez won't get it. Okay. But what do you think will win best pick? Best pick, I'm still going with 1917. I think that um, it could be Once Upon a Time or Parasite that sneaks in there. And there are, you know, there are a handful that, that also, I think, have a chance. I think Marriage Story, which I haven't seen as a chance. God help me, Joker has a chance. Yeah, I guess I've also seen Joker. I guess I forgot about that one. So let's um let's talk about Best Actor real quick. Um, the I haven't seen. There's Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, mm-hmm. Leo for Hollywood, mm-hmm. Adam Driver for Marriage Story, mm-hmm. Joaquin for Joker, and Jonathan Price for the Two Popes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clearly between Leo, Adam Driver, and Joaquin, right? I think it's Joaquin as a lock. I think. Adam Driver's the dark horse here, though, right? If any, yeah. if it's going to be anyone, Driver's got a lot more performances in him. He's going to win it at some point. Uh, having seen Joker, I mean, I, it's another one of these ones that has so much cultural baggage that's kind of like outweighed the movie. It's yeah. like I saw Joker, I liked it fine, and that was it. Yeah, I, I'm not the first one to make this observation, but. Um, I think it's a good one that it was an imitation of a good movie. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, they they knew how to, you know, basically they did everything they did very well, but it wasn't original in any way. They were kind of remaking a Scorsese movie. They were it, it kind of everything seemed to have quotes around it for me. And I had a, a, a few I had problems with it throughout, I guess. Overall, I enjoyed it, but um, I guess I, I didn't like the way that they changed, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but the way that they changed the sort of Batman folklore towards the end, and I thought it wasn't really necessary mm. the way that they did that. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, for me, I guess part of the reason why I did kind of like it was, one, the score is mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal, and I've talked, again, about how susceptible I am to music in a movie. Uh-huh. I actually bought the score. The score, uh, I will mention, is worth getting just because it's so good it's by hildur gunadotir gunadotter i don't know how to pronounce it she's uh icelandic really really good score it was really good um i thought joaquin was good but basically for me it's like when i watched it my perspective was just less that like 
this is an imitation of a Scorsese film and more just like I viewed it as this is a pretty enjoyable spin on a comic movie. Like this is an enjoyable Mm -hmm. spin on a Batman or Joker film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's not the DC movie that I'm used to. It's I, I, I liked that it was a little grittier and more down to earth and a little less Zack Snydery as the DC universe has been. And I I liked that it had a little bit more style, even if that style was ersatz, you know, I just found it enjoyable enough. Mm -hmm. Maybe not best picture level. I think it's um, been over celebrated. It was fine. It was good. It was, but it's also been over hated. And it's also been overhated, yes. It's so, both underrated and overrated. Yeah, 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 there you go. It, it it should just be rated. Yeah. But Joaquin's good in it, and so if he wins Best Actor, I'm not going to be like, whatever. It's f- good, fine. fine. Sure. Yeah, alright. Um, Best Actress. I think that's going to Renee, right? I haven't seen any of these movies. You've got yeah, know, Cynthia Erivo and Harriet. Scarlett Johansson and Marriage Story, mm-hmm. Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. Well, who she was very good, and she continues to be very good. And Little Women was a, a complete joy. Um, and we talked about potentially doing Little Women tonight too. Yeah, we did. Um, which maybe stay tuned on that. Yeah, I, I, I would actually like to do that one. Um, Charlize Theron, Bombshell, Renee Zellweger, and Judy. I guess just from the outside looking in, it sounds like. Uh, Scarlet versus Sersha is the race there. You know, most of the uh, the press I've been reading has been kind of uh, around Renee Zellweger kind of being the favorite. Really? On that one. Yeah. What is Although, this movie? I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a biopic of Judy Garland. I mean, I don't think I have any desire to see it really. Yeah. Same. Um, but uh, I will say that um, you know the uh, 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 Char- Charlize Theron is an interesting one. I saw Bombshell. I think I was one of the only ones. I don't think it did super well. Um, she is very good in it, but again, it kind of like she has quotation marks because she clear. And but it, what I mean by that is, she does Megan Kelly so well. She gets her voice down exactly perfect that at times it's a little too perfect, and at times it's like, I think it kind of undercuts the um sort of narrative heft of a scene where you're just so focused on like, wow, she sounds exactly like Megyn Kelly, you know? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, again, not really quite a criticism of it is one, but just kind of an observation. Um, that movie as a whole was fine. I mean, it's, it's subject matter that I like. I'm always, I'm, I'm a little obsessed with takes on right wing media and Fox news and stuff like that. So, uh, it was, it was in my wheelhouse, but, um, it's, a fun movie, not a great movie. And I'm not sure that she really... I mean, whatever. She's great. She should be there. Right on. Right on. All right. Well, those are the kind of the major categories. You got any others you want to call out before we go? Um, supporting actor, I think, is... Uh, I mean, that's that, that's going to go to Brad, I think. But, I mean, that was an amazing category. Um, just, you know, Pesci. You got um, Pacino. You've got Anthony Hopkins, I think, is in there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of... People who could have made that list as well this year. Uh, that was kind of a stacked category, as was kind of best actor, too. I mean, no De Niro there um, in the best actor category. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress also has Scarlet um, yeah. for Jojo Rabbit. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I haven't seen all of Marriage Story. I've only seen the first like third of Marriage Story. All right. I had to turn it off to do something else and then never wound up finishing it. I was liking it <laughs> up until that point. So, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I would say, though, that up until that point, up until that point, Laura Dern was really standing out to me. Yeah. So from the little I've seen of it, I think Laura Dern would really deserve this. But I haven't seen any of these other movies. So Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Scarlett for Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh for Little Women, Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Um, I mean, Florence Pugh was, you know, fantastic. And this really was a great year for her. I mean, I didn't know who she was it's before this year. Florence Pugh year, it's baby. Florence Pugh year. And she's going to go on to do great things. She's got Black Widow coming out with Scarlett. Yeah. How about that? I'm excited for that. I I like both of them. Me too. Um, and uh, Laura Dern, I think, is whatever. We all know she's a national treasure. She's had a great year, too. She's had a great year. She was in um, Little Women as well. And she recently was in, the obviously, the Twin Peaks uh, reboot. Yeah. And she's done a lot of great work lately. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not, I haven't seen Marriage Story, whether or not, you know, that's her best performance, she just should have an Oscar. So give it to give it to Laura Dern. I mean, I you'll always find me in Ellie Sattler's corner, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't have any other, uh, categories that I'm particularly, uh... Screenplay? I, I, I'm, I'd be curious between Parasite and Once Upon a Time. Hmm. You know, if they don't give Tarantino director, they'll give him screenplay. Right, which they've done his whole career. Yep. So, and also that's kind of like a classic move, right? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, cool. I think unless we have anything else, that's uh, that's it for this week. Awesome. Yeah. So anyway, thank you all for listening. And uh, this has been Better Late Than Never. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. Will, very good to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for having me as always. Let's do this again sometime. Okay. And we'll see you all next time. Bye.